And uh, what a privilege it is to preach this morning. And I always enjoy the opportunity to preach. And uh, I hope I can be helped to you this morning. It's great to see you. What a beautiful day we have outside. And uh, that's a good thing. We've had a lot of great weather lately. And that's, uh, that's been wonderful. And if you would this morning, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And you know, when it comes to preaching... Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways that we sort of get inspired to, to preach a certain message. If, if you've ever preached uh, for anything, I know there's a number of guys in here who preach on a, at least somewhat regular basis. And I think for me, primarily, the, the, the main emphasis for me or the main way that I supposedly get a sermon is just by reading God's Word. And uh, reading through a, a passage of the Bible and all of a sudden there's a certain point there or something that jumps out at you and you say, well, that's something good. You know, I write that down and, and uh, develop a, an outline later on from it. And uh, certainly that's the, the primary way. Another way is just by listening to my wife speak. I'm so inspired by, by the words she said. Just kidding. But I'm sure she has inspired some messages. And uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But uh, there's a lot of other ways, I suppose, that you get inspired to, to preach a certain message. I know if, if you've done any preaching, you know when you're listening to other people preach, you, you get inspired. And uh, I do my best never to copy someone else's message, although some messages are so good I just can't help myself, I guess. But uh, I try to, sometimes I get ideas, so I'll pass it on as preaching, or I have preaching sermon CDs in my car all the time that I listen to, and so you get a lot of ideas. But for me, one way throughout my life, as I've been preaching, one way I get a lot of sermon ideas is through music. And maybe other people are like that, but for me, when I listen to music, and I hear a song, a powerful song that, that speaks to my heart, man, I get inspired by it a lot of times. And I want you to understand something, first of all, is how music is so powerful in our lives. The effect that music can have on us. And I was talking with a guy just recently, and uh, there was a time in his life when he wasn't a Christian, and, and he wasn't living for God, and he listened to a lot of music back in the 80s. And he said, he, when he's at work and certain guys turn on a, a certain, certain song, he can remember every word. Every word from the 1980s. And you know, my dad was saved at age 26. And he was out in the world for a long time, and I'll be with him sometimes at a, at a truck stop or something, and all of a sudden he, he hears a song from the 1960s. I mean, we are talking 50 years later, and he can remember it. Not only can he remember it, but he can sing every word. And you know that's true for you in your life too, don't you? You know that. So I'm wondering this, what music are you putting into your heart and life right now? What music are you doing, and what about your children? If your kids, 50 years from now, are going to be singing the songs from their youth and remembering every word, what kind of songs are they going to be singing? And I know sometimes we say, oh, I don't listen to the lyrics at all. That means nothing to me. But somehow you remember the lyrics, don't you? Somehow you remember them 20, 30, 40 years later. And so I wonder what music you're listening to. And for me, man, it's an exciting thing with my kids, because they remember lots of songs, and we always have a song playing in our our minivan as we drive, and man, they can sing every song. And even Justice, who's three years old, it's painful sometimes to listen to him, I'm not going to lie. It can be, because he, he, he kind of yells and sings at the same time. He's very loud. But man, he knows every song, and I think, man, that's great. If he's going to remember something decades from now, he's going to remember some good stuff. And for me, man, I, I, sometimes I hear a song, and I think, man, I need to preach that. And we were uh, with the teenagers up at Grace Baptist College uh, a few weeks ago on a college trip, and we were there kind of touring the college, but we went to the Wednesday night service, and I'm sitting there in the Wednesday night service, the college choir gets up to sing, and I've got a lot, there's a lot going on, I'm kind of looking through the bulletin, trying to get ideas and stuff, and, and all of a sudden, I'm not really paying attention to the choir, 
But then all of a sudden, man, I, I realized, man, this is an awesome song. What in the world is this? And so I listened to the rest of the song, man, and it just meant a lot to me. I went back to my hotel room that night. I found the song, and I've been listening to it. It's in my van and in my car and on my iPod and my iPhone and my iPad. I, I've been listening to it all the time, and it inspired this message. And so I, I hope it's a, it's a help to you this morning. Second Samuel chapter 9, I'm preaching a message about Mephibosheth. Second Samuel chapter 9. The Bible says, starting in verse 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Skip down to verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. And uh, this morning, I want to preach to you a message simply about Mephibosheth. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here today. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you will help me to say only that which you have for me to say. Nothing more, nothing less, Lord. I pray that you'll bless this time we have together in your name. Amen. So, the story of Mephibosheth. A powerful story. An amazing story that we find in the Bible. And the Bible is such a beautiful book. And as you read it, man, you'll come across some amazing stories in the Bible. Some things that, man, just really hit you where it counts. And this is one of those stories. And as I think about Mephibosheth, I want you to kind of understand exactly what happened here. There's a few more details in the Bible that uh, are revealed earlier in this book. And Mephibosheth, of course, as you saw from the passage, was the son of Jonathan. And you know Jonathan, of course, he was the eldest son of King Saul. And so Jonathan was the crown prince. He was going to be the king after King Saul. And that made Mephibosheth in the kingly succession. Man, he was a, a young man who was born into power and prestige. And I want to tell you this morning, when Mephibosheth was born, he was not lame. He was not born lame. He was born whole, just like most of us. So here he was, uh, no doubt raised in the palace for his early years, born to a life of privilege, but then one day a, a terrible event occurred. King Saul fell in battle against the hated Philistines. He was killed. And not only was King Saul killed that day, but his son, the crown prince of Israel, Jonathan, was also killed. So Mephibosheth in one day lost his dad and his grandfather. And not only did he lose them, but he kind of lost his future. He kind of lost what was going to happen to him. And as you and I read the Bible and we look back over history and we see God's grand plan and grand design unfolding, we know that King David was supposed to be the king anyways. He was anointed by God, and God had already told Saul, Saul, you lost it. You blew it. You messed up. You're not going to be king. But just because we know that now, looking back, that doesn't mean that people in Israel knew at the time. All they knew was that Saul was the king. And, of course, they had heard about David, but David had sort of faded from the scene a little bit. He was a fugitive from the king, and he, he wasn't around nearly as much, but Saul was the king, and everybody knew it. And if Saul was the king, then his son was going to be the king someday. 
And if King Saul's son was going to be the king someday, then Mephibosheth, the son of the crown prince, was also going to be the king someday. But then he lost it all in one day. His dad and his grandfather both killed. This was a terrible day. And it was very common back then in this feudal system that they had that when one king died, another king would arise to take his place. And again, we know it was going to be David. But, you know, it took a little while for that all to work out. And people back then in the palace, they didn't know what was going to happen. But typically, when a new king came in, if he wasn't of the same family as the former king, he would kill everyone in the former king's family, wouldn't he? Now, you know that, right? He would have to get rid of all of them just in case later on someone would grow up to be a, a threat to him. So he would kill everybody. So Mephibosheth's life was now in danger. Or at least so they thought. At least they would consider that. We know David had a lot of character. He wouldn't do that. But they didn't know that. They didn't know what would happen. They had no idea. And so he had a caretaker. Mephibosheth had a caretaker. The Bible says it was a nurse. And this nurse, nurse panicked. She didn't know what to do, and she said, we got to get out of here. we got to go. Mephibosheth, your life is in danger. Mephibosheth, I don't know what's going to happen to you. So she took off running, and when she did, she fell. And Mephibosheth fell, and he was injured so severely that he became a cripple. He was lame for the rest of his life. The Bible says lame on both of his feet. He never walked again. You talk about a bad day. You lose your dad, your grandfather, and you're injured so severely that you never walk again all in one day. That was a bad, bad day in Mephibosheth's life. And we don't really know exactly what happened, but we know when this passage opens that he's living in Lodabar. Living in Lodabar, and that's where he lives for a long time. I mean, by this time he's an adult and, and everything, and he's, he's much older, so we're talking decades that he lives there in Lodabar. And what must life have been like for Mephibosheth in Lodabar? He left a life of power, privilege, and prestige, and he went to Lodabar and had nothing. You know, being a cripple is bad anytime. No one wants to be a cripple and, and to be lame. And, but it's much worse back in this, in this age. In 2012, first of all, if you're injured severely, they'll probably be able to fix it. I mean, they, they can really do a good job of fixing. And, and there's a lot of great modern technology and great doctors out there that'll help patch you up and you'll be fine. Mephibosheth had none of that. And not only that, but we have a federal government nowadays that takes care of people. Don't they? I mean, you have the Americans with Disabilities Act. You've got SSI that'll give you a check. And you've got all sorts of things to take care of. They had none of that back then. You think of the New Testament and how often Jesus was begged by a cripple to heal him. Man, because a cripple had nothing in their life. They had absolutely nothing. They couldn't provide for themselves. They couldn't provide for a family. They couldn't take care of anything. All they could do is just depend on the kindness of others. And that's where Mephibosheth found himself. A cripple. Unable to do anything. Unable to provide for himself. Here, here he is, a grandson of a king, and now he's living in Lodabar, dependent on the kindness of others. Depending on other people. He had nothing in his life. What a miserable life he must have lived there. Constantly in fear of what was going to happen next. Constantly wondering what was going to happen to him in the future. He had nothing and no one. And one day, King David sent him a message. We don't, we don't know why exactly, other than King David was a great man. He had, he, he had loved Jonathan, and Jonathan was very kind to him, and he wanted to repay it. But Mephibosheth himself had done nothing to merit this. He had done nothing to earn this favor from the king. But the king sends him a message, and he says, Mephibosheth, I want you to come live with me for the rest of your life. I'm going to set you up. And just picture in your mind's eye for just a minute, if you were Mephibosheth, and you're living in Lodabar, and you have nothing, and you have no one, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and at any moment you can be kicked out of your house and have to beg by the side of the road, and you're dependent on everybody else for your survival. You can't take care of yourself, you can't walk, you can't necessarily take care of a family, you can't do anything, but then one day there comes a message from the king. 
the king says, Mephibosheth, come live with me. Mephibosheth, I'm going to take care of you the rest of your life. Mephibosheth, I'm going to restore your houses and your lands. And I'm going to take care of you. You're going to sit at my table and you're going to be a part of my family. And you'll have everything for the rest of your life. You won't have to worry about anything. I will take care of you forever. Can you imagine how you would have felt that day when you received that message from the king telling you that your life was changed forever? And instead of living in poverty and want and uncertainty and fear, you could live in peace and joy and happiness in the palace the rest of your life. Now that's a good day. That's a good day. And you look at Mephibosheth in this passage, and he goes to before the king and he says, Who am I? Who am I that you would look at me? He calls himself not just a dog. He calls himself a dead dog. He says, Why would you even notice me? And David shows him this kindness, and the rest of his life he lives there in the palace. What an amazing story. What a, what a heartwarming, what a touching story. Man, I'd love to write a book about that someday. I'd love to see a movie about that someday, wouldn't you? But you know, the Bible is not written for our entertainment or our amusement. This story has the potential to help you. The Bible is written to change your life. And that's what this story can do. And I want to share with you a few things from this story today that, that I hope will be a help to you. First of all, and the primary thing that I want you to get out of this message, if you get nothing else out of this message, this is what I want you to get. I want you to understand one thing about this story, and that's simply this. I've got a little piece of paper here that says this. It says, I am Mephibosheth. I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp in your life that I am Mephibosheth, and so are you. If I had a title for this message today, I suppose that would be an I am Mephibosheth. And you say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not a cripple. I can walk, and I think that's the case for most of us here. That's a good thing. I'm happy I can do this. But listen, I'm not talking about being a physical cripple. I'm talking about being a spiritual cripple. A spiritual cripple. Do you know that spiritually, in and of yourself, you have no hope whatsoever? You have no help for yourself whatsoever. And I wonder in a crowd like this today, if there are some here who say, I am trying to get to heaven on my own. I'm going to try to accomplish something on my own. If, if you have a spiritual goal, your primary, your biggest spiritual goal would be simply that, getting to heaven when you die. Wouldn't that be it? And you say, well, I'm just trying to go through my life. I'm just going to try to work hard, and I'm going to try to love other people. I'm going to try to be kind to people, and I'm going to try to just be a good person. I hope you're trying to do that. I know many of you are. That's great. I'm glad you're trying to do that. But listen to me. Heaven is perfect. Heaven is not filled with good people. It's not filled with people who did good things. It is filled with God, and it is filled with perfection. And so if you, in and of yourself, are trying to get to heaven on your own by doing good deeds and helping other people and being faithful to church and giving money to God and doing all those things, you'll never make it on your own. You are spiritually unable to do that. You are a spiritual cripple. You can't do it. There is no possible way that you will achieve what, what is most important, and that's getting to heaven on your own. You'll never make it. Mephibosheth could never walk again, and you could never make it to heaven on your own. We need to grasp that in our lives. It's so important. I think for most of us, we understand that. But when the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, when the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that's talking to you and to me. That's saying that we are spiritual cripples. We are unable to do what God wants us to do in our lives. We are unable to be perfect. As hard as we try, and we wake up one day and we say, today I'm going to try to do right, and I'm going to just live and do everything right, there's going to come a time that day when you're going to mess up, and you're going to make a mistake, and you're going to go in the wrong direction. You can't do it on your own. We are spiritual cripples. We are just like Mephibosheth. Perhaps, though, that you're saved here today. Praise the Lord for that. I'm, I'm glad. 
I know that many of you are saved. You profess, profess salvation. That's a wonderful thing. Perhaps you're saved today. But you know, now that you're saved, God wants you to live for Him. God wants you to do what's right in our lives. And God wants you to follow His will each and every step of the way. And listen, I know we got some great folks in our church who are trying hard, who are living for God, who are doing the right things, who are following God's will in their life. And I praise the Lord for that. That is so exciting. That's a wonderful thing. But let me tell you something. You can't do it on your own. That's one of the worst things about living the Christian life. The, the worst weaknesses that we as Christians sometimes have is that we try to live for God on our own. And we say, in my own power, God, I'm going to try to do this. And I'm going to try to be a good husband and a good father and a good wife and a good mother. I'm going to try to be a good student and a good employee. I'm going to try to run my ministry here at Community Baptist Temple in my own power. You cannot do it. You are crippled spiritually. You don't have the power to do it. You don't have the ability to do it. Man, we need to understand sometimes who we are in relation to God. We are spiritual cripples. We just can't do it. Just like Mephibosheth, we... We are hopeless when we try to do things on our own, whether it's trying to get to heaven or live the life that God wants us to live as Christians. We can't do it. Sometimes we try so hard. We try so hard. I know there have been times in my life where I've tried to live the Christian life in my own power, and I've tried to do what's right, and I've tried to live for God. It does not work. We need to grasp that today. I am Mephibosheth, and so are you. But you know, there was a day... There was a day back in 1987 when I was just a young man and I, I came to this realization. I was six years old and I was, in a, I was in a service at Community Baptist Temple, or not Community Baptist, at Cleveland Baptist Church. Community did not exist back then. Cleveland Baptist Church on a Sunday night, June 22nd, 1987, and old Dr. Thompson was preaching. And that night, man, he brought a message on hell. And he was preaching away, and he was going at it, and I was sitting there in my seat, and I began to think, and I began to wonder, and I began to fear. You see, at the time, I thought I was saved. I thought I was already saved. I'd been baptized already. But as I sat there, I began to wonder, and I began to fear, and I began to realize, man, I don't know that I've got this handled. I began to realize who I was, that I was spiritually crippled, and I could not. Could not get to heaven on my own. And I began to get very worried. I began to get very scared as I was sitting there in that pew. I began to think, man, I'm not saved. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me if I die? And I began to realize that all that had happened is when I was, I don't know, four years old or something. My older sister had shoved me in a closet, made me say a few words, and then told everybody I was saved. And I got baptized. I realized that's what happened. And I realized I didn't have any clue what that meant. I didn't realize what in the world I had done, and I began to realize I did not know for sure that I was going to heaven when I died. I began to fear. I began to say, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? What if I die tonight? What if I die tomorrow? What if I die next week? I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I began to realize that I was a spiritual cripple. I had a problem. I had a problem. I went home that night, and I was scared, and my mom came in to tuck me into bed. And I told her, I said, Mom, I... I'm a little scared. I, I don't know what's, what's going on. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. You know what my mom did? You know what my mom did that night? My mom gave me a message from the king. She brought me a message from the king. A message that told me that God had already taken care of everything. And as much of a spiritual cripple as I was, God already had it taken care of. And he was going to enable me to go to heaven one day. And as I realized that I couldn't do it on my own, my mom showed me from the word of God how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. I wouldn't have to worry. I wouldn't have to fear anymore. I wouldn't have to doubt that God had already taken care of it. And I could know for sure that I was going to heaven when I died. And that night I was right there in my bedroom. I knelt beside my bed and I accepted that message from the king. 
And ever since then, I've been saved. And I've known for sure I was on my way to heaven. I received that message from the king, and I'm on my way to heaven now. And you know what God has already told me? He's got me a home up there. I want to be able to live with him forever in, in, in a mansion. I want to be able to be with him. And I became a part of his family, just as Mephibosheth was a part of David's family. And I'll be able to eat with him. And I'll be able to spend time with him. I'm going to do that for all of eternity. Because there was a king who sent me a message. He sent me a message so long ago. He sent his only son to die on the cross of Calvary to make a way for me to go to heaven when I die. That was the message that he sent me. And that was the message that I received. And ever since then, my life has been different. I wonder about you today. I wonder about you. When did you receive a message from the king? When did you get it? Was it right here at Community Baptist Temple when Pastor O'Donnell was preaching and you began to realize that you were a spiritual cripple and you would never make it to heaven on your own and you realized, hey, there's a king up there who cares about me and loves me and he's got a message for me and I'm going to accept that. Did you receive it right here at Community Baptist Temple? Did someone knock on your door? Did someone come to your door and bring you that message from the king? Was it a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody who came to you and gave you that message from the king? When did you receive it? To think that the God of the universe the creator of everything, the savior of all mankind, would think of us and reach out to us and give us this message of peace and happiness and hope. We were helpless. We were alone. We had no hope of eternity until we got that message from the king. It changed everything. It changed everything. But I think about Mephibosheth there in Lodabar, and I think, what if when he received that message from the king, he said, you know what, I appreciate it, but I'm going to pass. That would have been silly. That would have been insane to think about that. You say, no one would ever do that. No one would ever, I mean, this is the king. This is the king of Israel. This is the most powerful man in the nation, and he just sent you a message, and he wants you to do something. Why don't you accept his generosity and accept this? You don't deserve anything. Why don't you take it? See, Mephibosheth, when he called himself a dead dog, he kind of understood what his state was at that time. There was a time when being the grandson of King Saul was something awesome. Man, the house of Saul was something important. And, and it was something that was prominent there in the nation of Israel. But it had fallen on hard times. King Saul made a whole bunch of mistakes. He had messed up time and time again. Not only spiritually, but he just was not a very good king. And though he reigned for 40 years, four whole decades, by the time he was done, the people were glad to be rid of him. And thrilled to have David as their king in the future. Being a grandson of Saul was not something exciting anymore. Mephibosheth realized that. And he realized what incredible generosity that King David was showing to him. Man, it meant a lot to him. He got excited about it. I wonder if we're excited. So excited and so thrilled that the king of the universe sent us a message and thinks about us. Job chapter 7 verse 17 says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him? And that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him. Job realized how weak mankind was. Job realized how worthless mankind was. And he was shocked when he said, What is man that you would think of us? But the creator of the universe reached down and grabbed you. And said, I'm going to send my only son to die for you. How foolish it would have been for Mephibosheth to say, No thanks. I don't need that generosity. How foolish it would have been for Mephibosheth to say, no, I'd rather live here in Lodabar, in poverty, in squalor. I'd rather live my life that way. Wouldn't it have been ridiculous for Mephibosheth to say, no thanks, I don't want any part of that. Wouldn't it have been ridiculous for Mephibosheth to say, you know what, I appreciate it, but I have too much pride. I don't think that 
I don't think that David should have to do that for me. I think I should just take care of myself the rest of my life. I think I should just try to make it on my own. How foolish and ridiculous that would have been. And how foolish it is for those who reject the message from the king. The king of heaven who says, listen, I've made a way for you to go to heaven. I've made a way for you to live for all of eternity with me. How foolish it would have been for Mephibosheth to reject that message and how foolish it would be for you. The king of eternity is reaching out to you today and he's saying, listen, I've got a home for you. I've got a place for you to live the rest of your life. You can eat with me. You can be with me. You can be a part of my family. You can live with me for the all of eternity. He's reaching out to you. Will you accept it? And you'll have an opportunity. If there's someone here today who says, man, I, I've never received that message from the king. This is the first time I've heard the message from the king. Or maybe it's been a while, and maybe when I've heard it in the past, I've rejected it, and I've thought I don't need it, and I've thought it's not important, and I thought I can do it later. Let me tell you something. Do it today. Do it today. You'll have an opportunity in just a few minutes. I don't preach long, and you'll have an opportunity here soon to come down to this old-fashioned altar. We'll have altar workers who will come, and he'll pray with you and show you from the Word of God the message from the king can transform your life and, more importantly, transform your eternity. Will you accept that? Will you accept that today, that message from the king that will mean everything for you? You know, I, I do think of this, though. I do think of Mephibosheth there in the palace. And the Bible says he lived there the rest of his life. And boy, what a great life that would have been. Living in the palace. And surely everything was perfect. And surely everything, uh, there was peace and harmony every day of his life. And, and I think if you were Mephibosheth or I was Mephibosheth, when we went to the palace, we would expect perfection. I mean, we came from Lodabar where we didn't have anything. We came from Lodabar where there wasn't really any peace and happiness. But we get to go to the palace and we think, this palace is going to be perfect. And this palace is going to have everything. And everything I ever do the rest of my life will be perfect joy and happiness and peace. If you know anything about King David, you know that he didn't always have a peaceful palace. I think he always had a wealthy palace. There was always food on the table. There was never any question about that. But, you know, he had a lot of conflict in his life. King David made a few mistakes. He messed up a, a little bit, and it, the sin with Bathsheba. And because of that, the Bible says the sword would, never departed from David's house. And he had a, a, a lot of conflict between the siblings. Eventually, it got so bad that Absalom killed his half-brother Amnon. That's a lot of conflict. And Mephibosheth, no doubt, living in the palace, eating supper with them every night, would have known about that and would have heard about that. Then there came a time when Absalom actually rebelled against his father, and it was so bad that King David had to flee. Where did Mephibosheth go? I don't know. Did he, he probably fled with David. And then he came back later on when things worked out, and Absalom was dead, and David came back to the palace. He didn't have a perfect life of ease. I think he probably would have expected that at first, but pretty quickly he realized the reality of life. People are still perfect, even when they're living in the palace. People are still people, even when they're living in the palace. There's still going to be problems in the palace. There's still mistakes are still going to be made in the palace. And you're still going to have to endure things. But wasn't the palace a lot better than where he came from? Wasn't the palace a whole lot better than Lodabar? Now he was under the protection of the king, and now he was under the, 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 the authority of the king, and he never had to worry about anything. Oh, sure, there's probably some rules and regulations he had to follow. Being a, a part of the, the, the king's family there, no doubt there's heavy security around King David, and there's probably some rules, some things he could do and some things he could not do. And no doubt there were times when that was even a little frustrating to him. 
But wasn't it a lot better than where he came from? Wasn't it much better than Lodabar, where he never knew what was going to happen the next day, and he had no idea, he had no true peace and joy and happiness? And wasn't it a lot better than the past? How foolish it would have been for Mephibosheth to tell King David one day, you know, King, I'm just a little worried about what's going on, and this whole thing with your your kids, you know, they're always fighting with each other, and I don't really like that, and I'm a little worried about this up, potential uprising with Absalom, and you know what, I appreciate your kindness, but I'm going to go back to Lodabar. He would never have done that, would he? He never would have gone back to Lodabar. He never, ever would have rejected the beauty and the wonder and the awesomeness of the palace to go back to Lodabar. How foolish that would have been to leave behind everything he had and go back to what he was. But isn't that what we do as Christians a lot of times? Man, we live our lives in misery. We don't like our lives. We worry about what's going to happen. We have no peace. We have no joy. We have no happiness. And we have nothing in our lives until one day we receive a message from the king and it transforms our lives and we say, this is awesome. I can't believe what God has done for me. And I can't believe what the king of all of eternity has allowed for me in my life. And he gives us so much and we get so excited about what the future can hold for us. And then all of a sudden we get into the Christian life and we realize, whoa, I thought everything was going to be perfect. I thought I would never have a conflict. I thought I would never have a problem. And I thought everything would be just right the rest of my life. And you realize that's not always the case. You walk into the church and you say, wait a second, I thought this church was going to be perfect. I thought everybody here was going to be perfect. I thought all my friends in church were going to be perfect. And I thought all the ministry leaders were going to be perfect. And I don't understand why things aren't exactly what I envisioned it to be. And what do so many Christians do? They say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave the palace. I'm going to leave the place of God's blessing and I'm going to go back to Lodabar, where I came from. Think how many Christians do that. Think how many Christians, they get saved and they get right with God and they begin to live for God and they begin to do things for God and they get so excited about the Christian faith and they'll talk to you and they'll say, man, I'm just so glad that I don't have to live my life the way I used to and I'm so glad I don't have to go out and do the sins that I used to do and I'm so glad that I'm not in the lifestyle that I used to be in and I'm so glad that I'm different. I'm so glad that I'm saved. I'm so glad that I'm living in the palace with the king. And something happens. Something happens. And after a while, the, the love for God begins to fade. And all of a sudden, the, the, the special closeness to God that they used to have begins to fade. And all of a sudden, they begin to think, I don't really like this anymore. And they begin to actually look back at their former life and think they like that better. How foolish is that? To leave behind everything that you have found in the palace and go back to what you used to have in Lodabar. How ridiculous it would have been for Mephibosheth to abandon all the beauty of the palace just because there were a few problems and there was a few rules he didn't like and go back to Lodabar. How ridiculous that would have been. You think about when he first got to the palace and he was so excited. He said, King David, I can't believe you thought of me. I'm just a dead dog. I'm nobody. And I can't believe you reached down your hand and you brought me here to the palace and you've given me everything and you've given me happiness and joy and peace and you let me eat at your table and you let me have closeness with you and spend time with you all the time and you let me eat at your table. But then a few years later, because he gets upset and says, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my old way because I'm upset about a few things. But isn't that what we do as Christians? There was a time in our lives when we were so excited and we were so thrilled about what God did for us in our lives and we were so happy that we had left behind our old life. And you say, I'm so thrilled that I'm not a part of that anymore. But then sometime you get upset and you get angry and you decide to go back to your old life. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you leave behind 
the palace. You know, every day when Mephibosheth was there in that palace, he got to sit down and eat dinner with the king. You think of how many people in the nation of Israel would have given anything to spend one meal with King David, the king of the nation. And yet Mephibosheth got to eat with them every single day. You know what? We have that same privilege. We have that same privilege. Every single day we get to spend time with God Almighty. When we got saved, He sent His Spirit to live within our hearts. And we have the opportunity to live with Him every single day and spend time with Him every single day. Why would we ever throw that away? Why would we ever reject that? Why would we ever leave that behind to go back to our former life that we hated? In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, Paul is talking about a number of sins. The Corinthian church, of course, had, had a difficult history. They had made a lot of mistakes. It was a very sinful society there in Corinth. And the people who were getting saved, they were very wicked before they got saved. And he begins to list some sins. And he talks about fornicators. And he talks about idolaters. And he talks about adulterers. And he talks about thieves. And he talks about those that were covetous. And he talks about drunkards. And then he says something in verse 11. He says, And such were some of you. And such were some of you. As we look at that list, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, covetous, drunkards, I think it's safe to say that such were some of us. There were some of us who lived that lifestyle. There were some of us who came from those mistakes. There were some of us who did those things. There were some of us who lived that lifestyle. Such were some of you. Then he goes on to say this. He says, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, you're different now. You're not like you used to be. He says, act like you are. He says, you're you're different now. You're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified. And he says, why don't you act like it? Don't act like you were. Act like you are. You know, for so many Christians... We get saved and we begin to do some things for God and we get excited. And we change our old habits and we change our old lifestyle and praise God for it. You can only do that in the power of God, but why is there such a tendency sometimes to go back? Why is there such a tendency sometimes to begin acting not like we are, but to act like we were? You know, they say that... The message of the Bible is very simple. It's two things. Number one, it's how to get to heaven. And number two, how to live the abundant life here on earth. And God is holding out that abundant life for you. I think in this passage it's so beautifully depicted as life in the palace. Life in the palace wasn't perfect, but it was way better than it used to be. Life in the palace wasn't always joy and perfection. Yes, there were problems sometimes. And yes, there were difficulties sometimes. But it was so much better than Lodabar. Why would he ever go back and why would we ever leave the abundant life that God gives for us and go back to the life we used to live? Remember, you hated that life. Remember that. It's a tendency in all of us. 
It's a tendency in all of us, you know, we get a new car and we say, this car is perfect. I love it. And I hated my old car. It was terrible. I absolutely hated it. But then a couple years later, your, your newer car gets a little dinged up and all of a sudden you're like, actually, my old car wasn't that bad. I did love it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You were sick of it too. Never let that apply to the Christian life. Never allow yourself to begin looking back with longing at the way you used to live before you got the message from the king. Man, God's, God is so kind and gracious to us. God has done everything for us. God has allowed us everything. It's right here in the Bible. Such a beautiful story, such a powerful story. Remember, remember who you are before Christ. Remember the helplessness that you have. Remember that in your life. If you remember anything, I told you, I want you to remember this. I am Mephibosheth. Remember that you can't do it on your own. Remember you can't accomplish getting to heaven on your own. Remember that you can't accomplish living for Christ the way that he wants you to on your own. You are a cripple until you got that message from the king. A life-transforming message from the king. I wonder, though, for some of us, if we have received that life-transforming message, if we have accepted it from Christ, and for those of us who have, I wonder if we're tempted sometimes to leave the palace behind and return to Lodabar. I hope you got that message today. If not, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a minute. But once you've gotten that message, and you're living in the palace with the king, never go back. Never go back. Stay in the palace. Let God bless you there. Let me have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I told you this morning it wasn't a long message. But I'm going to ask you as you're sitting there in your chair, you're sitting there in your pew, has God spoken to your heart this morning? Has God spoken to your heart? Do you, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? You know, there's a message from the King for each and every one of us. A message of hope and salvation. The, the reason Jesus Christ sacrificed His life, the reason He came to earth and He left heaven behind is because He wanted to make a way for you to go to heaven when you die. He wanted to make a way for you to live with Him for all eternity. And I wonder if there's anyone here today who'd say, Brother Hamilton, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Brother Hamilton, I would like to go to heaven. Brother Hamilton, I'd much rather go to heaven than go to hell, but I don't know for sure. If you're like that here today, if you could just help me out right now. Help yourself out. Just, just raise your hand for just a minute. No one's looking around. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning who'd say, Brother Hamilton, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I've got that settled. I, I don't know that I've ever received that message from the King. Is there anyone like that here today? Could you just with an uplifted hand? Thank you. I saw that hand there in the back. Is there anyone else? I'm not going to send someone to you to call you out. I just want to know so I can pray for you. I want to know so I can give you an opportunity. There's another hand. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else? There's another. Okay. I see there's a few here. You've never received that message from the king. Listen, I'm talking just to you right now. Today can be the day. Today can be the day you can receive that message from the king. We've got some great workers up here in a minute. The piano is going to start to play in just a minute. When it begins to play, why don't you just come up from your seat and just come right up here forward. I'll be standing down right here in the front. You can shake my hand. I'll have somebody come and take you to the side, and they'll pray with you and give you that message from the king that will enable you to have the assurance of salvation. 
But as the invitation goes on, I wonder if there's some of you in here who are, for some reason, and I know that sometimes there are difficulties that happen, there are problems that happen, there are almost good reasons why this happens, but I wonder if there's someone in here today who's beginning to look longingly at their former life. There's a Christian here today who's looking back at Lodabar and saying, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I want to go back. Maybe I want to leave the peace and happiness. Maybe you've already left the, the palace of, of happiness in the Christian life. Maybe you've already left that a little bit. Let me encourage you. Go back. Stay close to God. He gives you an opportunity to spend time with Him every single day. Don't throw that away. Lord, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here today. I pray that you'll bless this time of invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray in your name. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if you're here this morning and you'd like to talk to, some, talk to me about salvation, just come forward here. I'm standing right here at the front. You can shake my hand. I'll have somebody talk to you how you can know for sure. Is there anyone like that here this morning? We can all stand. Come to our feet.